Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Unjunk your sleep during Mattress Firm's President's Day sale. Right now, get a king for a queen or a queen for a twin and save up to $500 on top-selling brands like Serta, Sealy, Sleepies, and Beautyrest. Plus, get a free adjustable base with qualifying Sealy purchase up to a $4.99 value. Or shop hot buys and get up to 50% off like Sealy Twin Mattresses starting at $224.99 or Sleepy's Twin Mattresses starting at $159.99. In stock for fast delivery, only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or website for details. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 40. Today features Judith Yates, who is BPA Quality's HR Director and has been in the industry some 20 years. I've worked with Jude for over five years now And this episode gives a lot of information and actually highlights the importance of conversation and just talking more because you'd think I'd know everything there is to know about Jude, but I learned a lot and it was really interesting. Hope you find it interesting too. Thanks for listening as always. And we're we're off. So Jude... Um, I always find these ones a bit, um, I really like them. They make me smile straight away because we talk to each other near enough every day. Um, but I'm looking forward to finding out some new stuff and just having okay. a chat about some of the great work that you do and the important things that have kind of shaped you and got you to this point. How? Good morning and how are you? Good morning. I'm, I'm good, thank you. It's, uh, I'm, I'm sat here with the sun shining through my window on a on a frosty Devon morning, um, kind of watching the world go by as I as I talk to you, and uh, yeah, trying to think very positively about the the place that um, that we're all in, and and that that I, you know that I like everybody else, and I'm in at the moment. Well, you've just come off the back of it. it was a couple of a week or so ago. Um, you presented some of the work that you and the team have been doing at the CCMA kind of national conference in your role as HR director for BPA and it's been you've been there same length of time as me isn't it about five years yeah yeah, just just over actually it'll be uh, it'll be six years in in February and interestingly I was actually working with the organization for a year before I kind of came on board permanently as a as a consultant as well um, and a bit like the, what was the old advert? Loved it so much I bought the company. Um, kind of love working with the organisation so much. I, I gave up a uh, uh, a very um, interesting and fruitful um, financially co- in, independent career to come and work twice the hours for, for half the money. So it's worked out really well. <laughs> and it's that kind of astute business sense that we could <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah but let's maybe let's go back and then um so you're hr director now for for bpa um where did this where did that journey start then so it it started for me like like a lot of people i think in in hr it was never a an intended path 
I didn't um, leave, leave school thinking, I know one day I want to be an HR director. Um, I grew up in a service background. So my dad um, is a chef and um, we had hotels and, and restaurants as I was, was growing up. So that whole idea of, of service and, and providing experience to people is kind of in my DNA. Um, my dad used to say to me when I was younger, I expect 100% from my staff and 110% from my family. So that gives you a little bit of a, an inkling into, uh, you know, what, what, what drives me, I guess. Were you working um, alongside him in the kitchens? Well, we used to have to wash up, wait at yeah. tables. So, you know, we had a little um, deli at the front of the restaurant at one point. Used to serve. So, yeah, absolutely. It was a... It was, you know, it was a family business. It was all, all hands on deck. And that taught me a, a huge amount um, about, hard, you know, hard work and, and you know, what that, what that delivers for you. Um, so very, very grateful. Didn't feel it at the time, but very <laughs> grateful now um, for that. And, and then, um, yeah, so my career kind of started in that trade. I started off working... Um, for a very prestigious hotel in in Somerset uh, as a receptionist and um, uh, where Gary Rhodes was the chef interestingly at the time um, so um, and and eventually kind of found my way out of that because it was um, it was very hard work it was you know 24-7 you you lived and uh, ate slept you know everything was kind of focused on 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 the job and I think I could see what that had you know done to my parents over the years and and thought no I I want to I do want to change this I want to add value in a different way um so I made the big step and moved away from home and I ended up working um num number of different jobs but ended up working for a finance company um, doing credit control of, of all things and I was really good at it <laughs> apparently demanding you know money with menace is a is a key strength of mine um, and so because of that I then um, started training other people that whole kind of you know sitting with Nelly as it's uh, as it's been called for many years um, and and training other people and then that led me to um, kind of stepping onto that training ladder um, and then somebody gave me an opportunity somebody that I work with went to um, join a startup company called Hutchison Telecom uh, which turned into Orange and I went and uh, joined her as part of her team um, and I was there for seven years and it was the biggest kind of career um, mountain really it wasn't even a, a curve it was like literally I went from being a uh, a trainer in the contact center to um, you know U European um, and then global training uh, training director um, so I I just had a massive massive experience during, during that seven years it was a time of lots of there was lots of money available there was um there was a real appetite in the telecoms industry for growth and experience and i i just had the the most fantastic time there and learned so so much uh, it's where i did my um my hr qualifications it's where i did my cipd qualifications um 
and yeah got to got to travel the world set up um the network in other countries uh, spent time in you know thailand and places like that it was it was amazing um hard hard work and i and i had a young son at the time as well so um kind of managing managing that as as part of it but um that that's for me is is the where i got the kind of the real grounding and the real passion for for what i do in terms of um working with people there's so a seminal moment in your career but just to take you back so this i just want to try and get this right so there was um someone you worked with and she went to hutchinson as a yeah. startup yeah and said to you come with yeah yeah absolutely and when you joined her at that point was it after was it was that at a point when there was just huge ramp up after that like straight away yeah i mean literally it went from um i think when i joined they had about 250 employees on board uh, and within the first six months, we'd kind of ramped up to, to well over a thousand people. Uh, and then we started opening contact centres, you know, all around the UK, up in Darlington, up and down the uh, the road to Darlington, down to Plymouth. Um, yeah, we, we, it, it spread very, very quickly. Um, all with two handsets at the time. That's what I remember is we launched this network and we had two two handsets the motorola mr1 which was the big old brick flip phone Love it. and and, and the, the nokia and i can't remember the model of the nokia but you know i i spent we, we used to do two week inductions for for new people and um i would just do back to back two weeks after two weeks just bringing more and more and more and more people on board it was it was phenomenal i'm thinking there's two two things there is kind of that uh the person that kind of grabbed you just like early on identifying talent and making such a significant change in your in your career that must have kind of left a mark with yeah you. De- definitely and then and then the next person that left a mark and in fact i i posted something on this person's linkedin page fairly recently i saw a a post about managers that had had a big impact in your your life and i kind of reached out to her and said um you know this this is this is you by the way um and again she could just see what the potential was in me and how much kind of pa- it, it it was the the passion and the desire and the you know complete dedication to to doing a a good job and making things better um and I, and uh, in those days uh i i had lots of lots of energy as well <laughs> Um, I've still got quite a bit, but uh, there was definitely more in those days. Um, and yeah, so so I was very very lucky to have somebody that that kind of recognised that and and you know coached me and um, continued to mentor me actually for for some years after I'd left as well, which was which was fantastic. And I do think I was talking to one of our team performance managers recently about that about the impact of having somebody as a sounding board in your career that you can you can ask the stupid questions to because we all I think I haven't met anybody in my professional life that doesn't talk about some level of imposter syndrome that sense of um god am I really am I really doing this am I (laughs) am I allowed to be responsible for this um 
how much of that was because you were I guess mass- massively outside your comfort zone as well every day every day you know I can remember a, a really really bizarre moment where we used to have this little plane that used to take us from Bristol to, to Darlington a little six-seater thing um uh, fondly nicknamed the Vomit Comet because it was <laughs> it used to fly at that height where uh, it wasn't particularly pleasant. Did you? Um, <laughs> no, I was all right actually. I was all right, but I had a couple of interesting journeys with people that weren't, especially when you're sat knee to knee opposite them. Um, but I remember having a moment where I'd, I'd the first time I went on it and I was sat on this on this plane early in the morning. I was in my late 20s, 28, 29, I suppose, sat on this, and there was nobody else on it, so it felt like I was on a private jet. (laughs) (laughs) And I sat on this plane, and I was going up to to speak at at an event, and I just thought, this this is it, Juju, you know, you've you've made it, you've, you're like, you're this incredibly important person that um, is, and 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 then just thinking, but you're not because you've just got out of bed and left your like young son, and you've got to get back tonight and cook the dinner, and and it was really, really. I just remember it being a very weird moment of of those kind of two elements of my life that that um, I was just kind of having to juggle and and think about and. Um, and I think it would have been easy at that point to go, what, you know, what are you doing? This is, this is crazy. And, it, and to a certain extent it was, um, but I just loved it. I loved the challenge. I loved the, that, that being outside of my comfort zone and, and, and getting that kind of, um, I suppose, almost adrenaline rush. And that's weird because I'm not an adrenaline junkie at all. I would shy away from anything that involves fear um, in any way, shape or form if it was, bungee jumping or jumping out of a plane or anything like that but um but but you know pushing outside of my my comfort zone from a professional point of view was was really exciting and challenging because there could be people listening um especially women who are are having those kind of moments of self-reflection right now and thinking um so I think it's that kind of thinking someone's going to catch me out. This, I, how am I here? Cause I, I, you know, I've talked before about, I've, I've felt that for a long time. Um, when I first started to progress really and get to a more senior level, you, you think someone's going to come along. I think about my degree, my degree actually, I used to have a recurring nightmare that someone would come and say that I hadn't earned it. Um, that's probably because I did waste the first two years just playing football and drinking. <laughs> um, but that that moment in the plane, what is it then that takes you through that? Just the fact that you've got a responsibility and you just got to keep going. What was it? I don't think it was even responsibility. I think it's about inner, just inner desire to to make a difference. You know that that for me is always and continues to be that that's you know. At the moments now when I've become demotivated and like anybody else that happens from time to time, I know it's because I don't feel like I'm making a difference. And so having the opportunity to do that, and I don't think, I mean, I was, 
you know, I, I had my um, I had my son at a very young age. I was only 22 when I when I had him. I went back to work when he was three three months old. So I, I've always been kind of um, very driven to make sure that there was balance in my life. And again, I didn't always get that that right. You know, there there were t absolutely times I was very lucky. I've got a very supportive husband, and we made a decision quite early on that he would be the one that would always be there to you know um take take my son to school and pick you know pick him up and um and and just be there for for him all the time when i couldn't be so so i was very lucky in that respect um but um but yeah i i think it's about just understanding what's important to you because if i'd have made a different decision at that point if i'd have allowed my kind of fears about what it meant for me as a mother and should I be doing something different or if I'd allowed my fears as a, a as an HR professional in terms of I should be committing more or, do, or doing something different um I don't think you're doing yourself any any you know any justice really and and all the people around you so um it'd be interesting um I mean, you, you know, uh, Martin, you know my son, he, he, work, he works for us. Um, so I'll let you be the judge of whether he turned out all right or not. But I, I think he would tell you that, um, ha, you know, having a strong, independent mother has benefited yeah. him in, in, in a lot of ways. And that, you know, whilst I wasn't necessarily always there for every nativity play, he doesn't, he doesn't remember that. He remembers all of the, the positive stuff that came out of it. Yeah, I would. I would agree. Yeah, it's good lad, good beard. <laughs> Even better since lockdown. <laughs> so you're you're flying high at Orange. Yeah. The future is bright. Literally. <laughs> um, <I> remembered. <laughs> <laughs> where you know where where are we going next? What what's? Well, we got we did get to a point. Max was about thirteen, I think, and I and I was away a lot. <clears throat> so I mentioned, you know. At this point, I'm traveling around the world, setting up the network and bringing onboarding people in other other places. Um, and, and we had a moment where um, I was in I was in Thailand, I was in Bangkok working and an opportunity came up for us to move out there. Not permanently, but for like a two year stint and to move all of the family out there. And I say all the family, all three of us. And we had a, a, you know, a long sit down and a conversation about it. And, and my husband said, I just, I don't want to do it. You know, I, I support you. If, if you really want to go, then of course we'll, we'll come. But I don't think it's right for us. I worry about what then happens when we come back. No. Um, so, so we didn't, we didn't, we didn't go. I kind of came back and, um, and, you know, carried on doing some more stuff uh, in the UK. But I think as well at that time we'd been taken over by France Telecom so a lot of things were were changing budgets were tighter decision making was much more challenging um I felt that we were going in a in a different direction uh, as an organization and I also felt that um now was the time actually to focus a little bit more on my family um that that whole kind of conversation around what's right for for us uh, became a bit of a stark, stark reality and, and I wanted to be there and support Max. So there was an op opportunity for me to take um, voluntary redundancy 
and I thought, right, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to take voluntary redundancy. I'm going to, it was a great package at that time. Um, uh, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to be a fantastic wife and mother for a year. And, um, and then we'll think about what, what happens after that. I think it took about six, maybe eight weeks before the boys were saying to me, please, please go back to work. <laughs> please find something else to focus all this energy on because if you ask us one more time not to leave our shoes in the hallway or, you know, um, because we'd never lived like that. We'd never yeah. lived with me kind of being there all of the time. And yeah, it was, it was quite, quite bizarre. So for me, it was about finding a, finding a balance between, between those two things. Um, and I found that um, primarily working independently, but, but working um, with, with contracts. So I did, I did a stint at the NEC uh, working. That was, that was fascinating uh, working in the kind of entertainment uh, uh, arena Pe people are people mm. so wherever you go you know there's different skill sets and there's different um things that you need to understand about the business but when you are in the business of people people are people wh mm. whatever arena you're in and i worked with um with a uh like from a body shop uh operation with you know, body shops all around the UK with managers managing um, guys banging out dents in, in cars and uh, and painting uh, through to, I, I went and did some work at um, O2 in, in Dublin, um, just as they were launching this brand new thing called an iPhone. What? Uh, yeah, it was crazy creative times. And I, I'm not really sure what happened with that, but I understand it went on to be quite successful. They, they, I think they're doing all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I spent quite, quite a long time just kind of working independently, but working with different organisations for, for periods of time, uh, getting involved in lots of both management development, people development, organisational development um, projects, uh, and, and having a really, a really good time of going in thinking about how i could make things better and then in you know kind of implementing those those things what i wasn't getting interestingly was a real sense of how it was finally impacting mm -hmm. so you kind of you go in you do this big project and you can you can measure it of course to a certain extent but but then you leave and then you don't really see what the ongoing effect of that is. And, you know, you kind of keep in touch with whoever the yeah. stakeholders were in the organisation to a certain extent. But I think for me, what I was lacking was that real um, kind of connection to a, a, a business and the people within it and, and how what I was doing was really having an impact on the way that they, that they operated. So um, the, 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 the last kind of bit before I came to, um, I came to, to BPA, I was working with, um, I'm, I'm going to call her a colleague, but she's so much more than that. I, uh, she was a, a training um, associate when I worked at Orange um, that, that hounded me 
um, to come and come and be a, a, a training associate and and one of those people in your life that the minute you meet them you know that they're going to be a really really significant person in your life uh, so we'd done various things together over the years and we ended up setting up a uh, a, a learning and development uh, organisation um, and we were working together and BPA came to us as a client through through another client actually um, so that that's kind of how I got introduced to, to BPA um, and at that point had no I was I was living in um, in Cheltenham um, you know it was we had a lovely life um, again, I was away from home a lot, um, but all, always back at the weekends and, um, yeah, not, not really thinking that there was any, anything that we needed to, to change, but all of a sudden this opportunity came up to take on a role that I felt could just have a massive impact. Um, and at the time BPA was still a relatively small and i think at the time we were called the best kept secret in the contact yeah. center <laughs> industry uh in other words nobody really knew about us and um yeah and and i just thought wow this is this this company's got so much potential um and if we could you know if we could start to put a bit more structure in place and have a bit more focus around what we're doing with with the people and it was growing really quickly so it was like trying to keep up with with all of that um i just thought this is a great opportunity oh and by the way it means i can move to devon and live by the sea <coughs> excuse me so yeah it was just on so many levels it felt like the right right move and i can remember driving home i'd been down here for about three or four days driving home on a Friday night and thinking, right, I'm going to have this conversation with Daryl. I know what he's going it's to say. It's not Doc. <laughs> <laughs> I know what he's going to say. He's going to say, oh, no, what, why do we want to, we've got a lovely life here. Why do we want to, you know, he's quite averse to change generally. He's been doing the same job for 34 years, I think now. So you, you get where I'm coming from. Not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, yeah, he doesn't yeah. have change. And, um, he I drove back we went to the pub and had some dinner and I said oh what do you think about this and he's like yeah let's do it and that for me was just a sign it's like well if he's saying yes then this must be the the right thing to do and I think sometimes you've just got to go with your gut instinct there's you can do the whole like let's write a list of pros and cons what's gonna you know what is gonna work what isn't gonna work what why should we do it why shouldn't we it just felt right on on so many levels and I think um yeah, has, has most days has proven to be absolutely the right, the right decision. We'll, we'll get into some of the stuff, the great stuff, and the reason why people ask um, you and the team members to talk at conferences, some of the stuff, and I'm, I benefit and my team's benefit from seeing the things that you and the team have put into place, and we'll get onto that. But it's kind of, with, with the podcast, you get to see some of the demographics of, um listeners in terms of age and things like that and you can make a connection from that to well you can assumption rather where they are at in their career and listen, listening to you is kind of like it's very there were some seminal moments but generally it's kind of just nice nice progression but actually for a couple of times you've dealt with some some real trauma in in 
in that time, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, I have, and there have been there have been a couple of really, really low low points for me that I've had to uh, pull pull myself back from. Um, and I'm I'm very lucky that I was able to do that, and I got the support to be able to do it. So, very tragically, um, twenty almost twenty years ago, um, my, my stepsister was abducted and, and murdered. Um, and I say that now in a very matter of fact way because it is matter of fact. It's what happened. Um, but at the time, it was a, a very very traumatic experience um that my my family went through um and 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 actually it so it was a bizarre situation because when it happened you feel a little bit like you're having some kind of out of body experience like you're looking in on your life like it's a movie or something and thinking well this can't actually be happening because this doesn't happen to you know people this is like something that happens in the movies um but it but it was and i i really focused on supporting everybody else that's that's my that's my go-to thing anyway that's kind of naturally what i what i do um and i think through that time i was i was really strong i was really supportive how old were you how old was i i was 32 yeah 32 um but when it got to the trial which was like a year later that's the point for some reason it just really hit me and i think um i think it's it was being at the trial and hearing all of the awful you know gory details that hadn't necessarily been exposed to before and also i think just having stored up so much so so much stuff um, and I remember my, my dad actually couldn't go to the trial because he couldn't face the guy, didn't want to, didn't want to see him and, and felt that, you know, he might not be able to control himself. And, and I remember coming out of the court one day and, and ringing my dad and saying, you have to, you have to come and get me. I, I, I don't, I'm like, I didn't know which way was up. Mm. And I just completely broke down. And from that point, I, I just went to a really, really dark place um and and you know couldn't get out of bed couldn't function uh it just really really hit me like a like a ton of bricks um and yeah at, at the time um you know luckily i was working um working with a company that were just very very understanding um and be because at the time that it happened um i was actually still at orange and i was in my sort of final days um, and actually that that wasn't such a great experience yeah in terms of their understanding and support at that time um which is kind of i guess a lot of, about what what drives me now in terms of the the experience that i'm able to give people when when traumatic things happen in their life why that's so important to me um but but then when when i hit this dark spot i i was working with an organisation that were just incredible and and really helpful and supportive and understanding uh and i got some great great counseling i had some great friends my family were amazing and slowly but surely i managed to kind of you know cr crawl my myself out of out of that pit and and i use that language because that's exactly how, how it felt at the time um and that never goes away. So 
um, you learn over time to implement strategies to help you get over that. I'm, I'm using that in kind of inverted commas because, of course, you're never going to get over something like that. Um, but um, but it but it never goes away, and it does. So something else happened, which I, I don't want to go into in lots of detail. But something else happened about three years ago. Um, and it and it re-triggered this kind of post-traumatic stress disorder, which is what, what I was diagnosed with at the at the time. So so I know that it's always there, just underneath the surface. And I think knowing that and being aware of it um, kind of helps you be more more determined and more conscious of what you need to do and how you need to look after yourself and sometimes put yourself first. Um, that whole thing about, you know, when you get on a plane and they do the safety briefing and they say you need to put your own oxygen mask on before you help anybody else. That's so true for life, because if you're gasping for air, there's no way you can help help other people. Um, so that's that's, you know, something that I, I really, really try hard to to live by now and to and, and to think about. But I you know it it was it was awful it was traumatic um but it it was another another step in my life that taught me a lot of things um and that uh have enabled me i think to you know be, be the compassionate person that i believe i am we we were asked weren't we last week at a um a leadership team meeting about what our what one of our like key superpowers are and I and I said mine's compassion because I think if you've got if you've got that real compassion and you you understand how people are and how people are you know struggling with things that you would have no clue about probably um and and you can be kind and you can be thoughtful about that then that that goes a long way in terms of how how successful you can be in life whatever you're doing yeah, well, thanks for sharing. And what, you know, from great trauma, um, I, I see the person you are and the impact you have on, on other people and knowing that um, there's been such a, like you say, horrific event, can't even begin to comprehend it, um, for you to still, to have taken that and turn it into as much as possible a positive is you know more kudos to you it's amazing um I think how... the other thing it does is it puts life into perspective hmm. so there's almost that thing of whatever happens now whatever happens in life yeah. nothing's ever going to be as bad as that hmm. um uh, she says that sounds awful doesn't it that feels like tempting fate but but actually losing somebody that you love in that horrific manner you know that that just feels like the worst thing to me so in those moments where I'm feeling sorry for myself or feeling like time's tough and let's face it there have been quite a few of those moments this year yeah kind of you know it's about right I'm gonna have a word with myself let's get a bit of perspective here you know I'm I'm safe I'm loved I've got a fridge full of food I've got you know people around me that that really care I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Um, just reminding yourself and giving those kind of positive affirmations to yourself uh, for, for me is a, a really good strategy about staying, staying focused on the positive. 
So what does the what's the what does an organization's good provision of mental health for looking out for mental health the, the mental health well-being of their teams look like? So uh, I um I think we've learned a lot of things uh, over the last. So we've we've had a real focus on mental well-being as an organisation for the last three or four years. Um, and I think there's some key things that we've learned during that time. Um, one of which, and probably the most important, is to do something. Don't don't wait. Don't be. Um, don't wait for those conditions to be perfect because you can talk about it till the cows come home and and i know it's very easy when you're in an organization to you know to get focus groups together and talk about it at leadership level and have lots of really well-intended conversations but actually sometimes just kind of stepping into it and going right let's just try this let's just um like your t-shirt today says um martin be will be willing to fail yeah. Um, and, and I know mental health is a, a is a very difficult um, thing and you don't want to fail at that. Um, so I'm, I'm not suggesting anything, you know, too, too radical that puts yeah. you and your organisation at risk. But actually just just doing something that reaching out and demonstrating that you care, you care about people because mm. that's what people want to know. Um, if I work in an organisation, I want to know that I'm cared about as a person, not just as a as an individual that's doing the job I'm doing. I, I, want, I want to know that my organisation has got my best interests at heart. So I think, I think do, do something that demonstrates you're, you're willing to um, put, put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. And I, I think when people feel that they're, they're valued, they, they then will respond to that. They'll do more than is expected of them. They will you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be engaged, they'll be motivated because they feel that you really care about, about what's happening. And I think the other, the other thing is not to be afraid of those candid and courageous conversations. Um, because some of these things are really difficult to talk about, but by talking about them, you realize how many people are, are affected. You know, and I have people come and talk to me about all sorts of things from how the menopause is affecting them to suffering miscarriage, you know, some really difficult stuff to talk about. Um, but but I think we need to be encouraging people to talk about that. We need to be skilling our our team leaders and line managers to have those conversations and not to back off from them, um, because really all you need to do is listen. Yeah, I was just thinking that because it surely the starting point has to come from understanding, and the only way to understand is to listen. Exactly that. So that whole that whole um, education piece for me, whether it's you know, and we've got a great support network now with our mental wellbeing champions, um, but but what they are trained to do is to listen and and to signpost people so they're not counsellors they're not you know they're not professionals they can't give them advice or tell them what to do but what they can do is listen to them and provide support in the way of um you know of other ways so that might be external organizations it might be some of the things that we've got set up internally 
they might not even need to do any of that. They, it might just be as simple as somebody needing to sit down and have a cup of coffee and a chat with somebody. Sometimes that's all it takes for someone to feel to feel better, to know that somebody else has listened to them and and cares about what what happens to them. Um, it, it can sometimes be as simple as that. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say um, just, yeah, don't don't be afraid. Step into it. The way that we did it was um, we had one very strong individual who had suffered um, with some uh, postpartum uh, anxiety, really, really severe. And uh, we were able to support her through that and bring her back to work in a way that uh, enabled her to absolutely flourish and, and she's gone on to be you know a real success story and one of the key players in our in our organization I, I, I say that without any hesitation um, and what she said was I want to talk about this I want to share my story because I think there'll be other people in the organization who are maybe feeling like I'm feeling and not feeling brave enough to come forward and, and talk about that so that's what started it all out for and it was a simple email it was her sharing her story via email and saying look this is what happened to me and and it just grew organically from from there and i think that's a really good place to start because then it's not a it's not an hr initiative it's not a you know buzzword of oh this this you know this in this period we're looking at mental well-being so we need to tick the box that says we've yeah. done not about that it's about saying this is really important to our to our people uh, and and they're the ones that are driving it and and you know guiding the direction in which we 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 go with it so well as a recipient of the policies that are in place um i feel very i feel very lucky but i think it's an important message you share around just get started do something especially especially now what impact do you think this this pandemic has had or will have going forward? Okay, I mean, it's hard, isn't it, not to come up with the, the cliches around unprecedented times. And I was setting you up for your little joke there as well. <laughs> <laughs> the joke you told me at my, the my, my, uh, What about the, um, about the, the women lying around? Do you know that yeah. one? I mean, oh yeah, I saw this brilliant, brilliant thing on I can't remember where it was, probably Facebook, I don't know. And it was a it was a kind of Renaissance painting and it said, um, now I've lived through a plague, I understand uh, why Renaissance paintings are all of women, chubby women lying around without their bras on. Um, <laughs> I, I definitely there's, there's the impact. <laughs> I definitely identify with that through, through all of this. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's it is different for, for different people. Um there isn't one size that fits all. And I think that's a really important thing to remember. So, you know, for example, we opened our offices back up in September for 10 individuals in an organisation of 270 because they were struggling to work from home. It was having a massive impact on them and, um, you know, for, for mental well-being reasons, we knew it was important to create a safe environment where they could come to work. And that's that's what we did. We, we we made that decision. Everybody else, you know, we've been um, we've been 
pulse surveying all the way through to find out how how everybody's going and in the main people are, are responding well I, I definitely think we're hitting that point of okay the, you know enough's enough now we've all we've all kind of had enough and um i think today is as as we talk we're waiting to find out what tiers we're all going to be in after the the second of december so it'll be interesting to see to see what happens then um but um it, it's about staying connected isn't it it's about you know again giving people the opportunity to air their frustrations and remembering like i i felt myself at times getting a bit annoyed or frustrated by the things people are saying mm-hmm. um an, an example of that is um we we set up a, a a lockdown challenge for people to try and um like keep people moving because we're now in november you know it's like it's hard work isn't it to get out there and and get motivated to exercise so we thought we could do a really good thing um we could raise some money for charity and kind of keep people motivated at the same time so we set up this challenge and said right we want everybody to try and do um you know a bit of activity every day and log it and every bit of activity you do will donate bpa will donate a pound to to charity and we chose three really great local charities and um and yeah and in the main people have really got engaged with it and it's great to see uh, there's a bit of you know healthy competition going on and everything but i I got a little bit of feedback um last week about um some people starting to feel a bit demotivated because they were doing a lot more exercise than some people and but their contribution was only being recorded in the same way and i could feel myself getting really annoyed about that and thinking you've completely missed the point of this this is all about encouraging people that perhaps wouldn't normally do it and raising money for and then and i literally as i'm doing this rant in my head i just kind of recognized what i was doing and i thought what you're doing is exactly what they're doing Mm. there's a there's that kind of lockdown cabin fever response that you're having to something Mm. so remember that that's what's happened to those people as well um and and yeah i i think it is catching yourself isn't it and um and kind of going really just you know shall i just let that go exactly it's a bit of mindfulness <laughs> isn't it just before we yeah. but yeah you know we're on track aren't we we're going to do over i know what, over three thousand pounds for three great charities which who are they again do you want to just yeah so um we've chosen mind devon um, because they are, you know, re- really, really important at the moment that people can get the support that they need from a, a mental well-being point of view. Uh, we've also uh, chosen the Exeter Food Bank um, because, again, you know, we we consider ourselves to be really lucky. We were able to move everybody to a working from home model. Um, we we've kept everybody employed. We've taken on more people. Um, so yeah, we we totally um, consider ourselves to be be really really lucky and um, you know a, an opportunity to kind of give back to those who are less fortunate than us feels like a really really good thing to do. And then the third um, organisation is some somebody uh, an organisation called Extra Community Initiatives. Uh, and they work with um, homeless charities uh, and people who are kind of in dire need of of support 
uh, that are on very low incomes, uh, th those those kind of people. So yeah, we're, we're doing a phenomenal, I'm just waiting actually. So today is our three week point and um, I'm just waiting for the report to be, um, to be sent through to me as to how we're doing. The leadership team got knocked off the, uh, off the, the top spot uh, on Monday of this week. So no doubt there'll be, uh, there'll have been some concerted effort to try and, try and regain that knowing knowing some of the characters in the leadership team i've been i've been recording mine in my own team so so don't tell yeah. that. and me and me yeah. <laughs> i think it might only be andrew alex and uh, you know a couple of others so uh, but they're doing a sterling job so um we're we're coming to the end this has been um fascinating and i 100 percent agree with the kind of compassion being your um, superpower and I think people within BPA have all felt the the benefit of that so so thank you I'm just conscious of um, the the presentation you gave kind of clearly maps out the steps that were taken um, that you've put in place that have seen us you be in a position where other companies are asking for info around what you've done are, are people able to contact you to get yeah. that Absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm, uh, feel free to link in with me on LinkedIn, um, or, or yeah, or, or you know, drop drop me a message. Um, I, I I do talk to people. You know, I I think this is about us us sharing. I'm about to you know join a. Uh, I'm really looking forward actually we've got our first CCMA um, kind of HR special interest group today um, any opportunity that I get to share experience with like-minded people is uh, I absolutely embrace so yeah please please do you know like everybody else I've got a busy diary but I will always try and um, make make time in some way shape or form to to have those conversations so yeah please do reach out to me if you want to if you want to know more or if you've got some really great ideas that would add even more value to, to what we're doing always keen to hear those as well it's like you said earlier it's about connection isn't it now more so than ever yeah most, most definitely thank you very much for coming on i'm sure we'll do this again you're welcome i've i've really enjoyed it it's nice for you and i to just have an hour to sit exactly. down and chat how often do we get to do that well, we do, but often it's dealing with other things, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you haven't already, please do subscribe. Always feel like you can get in touch. And please do support Naomi House and Jack's Place, the charity that is now associated with the podcast. They do great work. They have a huge budget to provide this um, wonderful service to children with life-threatening illnesses and any contribution is welcome. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Stay safe, everyone. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Wait a minute. I've heard that before. That's the note Jeremy wrote to me in my yearbook in the sixth grade. How'd you even know that? Because it's from Geico. Yeah, yeah wait, here it is. Dear Luke, have a great summer. P.S. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Love, Jeremy. Geico's had this tagline for years because we help save people money. So wait, you're saying Jeremy copied you? <laughs> yeah, that actually does sound like something the J-Man would do. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. 
Book your New Jersey summer getaway now. Go for sunshine vibes and beach and boardwalk fun. Discover parks, forests, and family attractions, distinctive dining, and inspiring art, history, and culture. Stay in an urban oasis, an Oceanside Inn, or other unique accommodations. Boost your mood in New Jersey's feel-great destinations. Create your escape at visitnj.org slash book now.